Welcome to the Glitch Text Rewatch Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and we are now in Season 2. Today we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 1, The Glitch Modder, and we have some amazing guests here for you today. So Dan, let's start with you. Hi, I'm Dan Milano, and I'm really what I am is like a freelance writer and sometimes producer and, and whatever other jobs may go with them. But I came to this project as part of an overall deal with Nickelodeon under Jenna Boyd, who was then running development. And she had introduced me to an in-house producer named Eric Robles, who'd created Fanboy and Chum Chum. And so we started working together on a project and, and Eric had come up with the initial idea for what would become Glitch Text. And we just joined up and obsessed over it. And so I became a co-creator and EP of Glitch Text, largely over the writing. And I also play bit and some of the glitches and sensors here and there. <laughs> so I've been busy on the show. And it's a pleasure to be here again. Awesome to have you. Awesome to have you. And then also with us today is Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, I'm an animator from the Philippine animation studio Top Draw. We handled a lot of the cutout production and some sometimes just direct animating for the later episodes i guess that's it <laughs> we're so glad Yay. to have you and also joining us today is johnski hi johnski hello i'm johnski and i'm also an animator like sarah in the philippines like top draw studios <laughs> and yeah like this is actually glitch text is is our first show in the company is like holds special place in my heart. So <laughs> yeah, that's all. Oh, great. You guys can be here. Yeah. And we'll definitely talk about what it was like working on your first show. And then also today we have returning guest, Phil. Hello, Phil. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me back. My name's Phil. I was a board artist from the jump on Glitch Text. We came on on episode 101, like the big two-parter. And we just kind of ran all the way down to the end. So, uh, you know, I love this episode. So I was like, please, Angela, I got to talk about all the Ridley stuff that I can. So that's, <laughs> that's why I'm here. Yeah, Ridley's my favorite character in the show. She's awesome. And then also, last but not least, we have a, a new guest with us, Jules. Hello, Jules. Hey, I'm Jules. On the show, I was a revisionist. And I get to do a, a little bit of boarding here and there, which is a lot of fun. And now I'm just slaving away at Disney TV on a new show coming out. And yeah, it's going to be fun. It'd be cool to hear you define a little bit of what a revisionist does and then also what you did because you went through so much on this show and you contributed so strongly to this show. And I'm so glad you're all here. I just want to say, Angela, that Top Draw Studio was brought on a couple episodes in after we, you know, Flying Bark Studio in Australia really helped us get on our feet, but they were already beholden to Rise of the Ninja Turtles. So when that show began, we started looking for our, like a puppy looking for a forever home, right? Like who's our forever studio? <laughs> Although there's no forever in the industry. <laughs> but anyway, we found a relationship with Studio 100 and then were supported by Top Draw. And it's not unusual for more than one studio to take on a particularly cumbersome show. What was great about the relationship here is that we knew from the get-go there was going to be this relationship and although the show was a very difficult pipeline for everyone to learn there was 
a lot of intercommunication. And so Top Draw Studios just did so much great, you know, rough animation and, and layout. And over time, though, you know, as things were changing over at Nickelodeon, there were a lot of things that affected our series. And eventually we had to go to one single studio. And Top Draw came on and shouldered the entire production and needed to now also be doing compositing and final animation. And they just excelled at all that. They adapted and learned so much. And, and the teams there at all these studios I've mentioned have been phenomenal. It's incredible that the show overall maintains like a very consistent quality. But anyway, I just want people to understand that when we talk to Top Draw, when we talk about Top Draw, they went from supporting us heavily to taking everything on. And the work of the animators we have on here today have, have done just so much incredible work on the show. And the relationship is very important because I want folks to understand that when Phil and Jules and our other board artists board here, no matter how well they do, you're almost starting from zero when you send it to a studio because the studio's job is to start by matching those boards and then improving, enhancing, filling in however is needed. It all depends on the boards, but at the very least, it needs to be as good, if not better. And there are occasions where that isn't always the case. And sometimes it can't be rarely about talent. It's usually more about time and money and things like that too, not just talent. But in this case, the talent was so tremendous and the passion was so tremendous so that if Phil boarded a scene, we wanted there to be a relationship that the animators knew, okay, this is what Phil did in the sequence. Here are the notes. Please remember when you're working on it that, you know, you're, responsible in a sense for what he's done and now it's our jobs to support you and give you what you need and that exceeded our expectations all the time so i'm sorry for talking forever i'm not going to babble throughout but i want people to understand studio and you know the u.s boarding and everything was done here at nickelodeon and once we send it away we're literally sending this baby to other caregivers and the compliment i'm really trying to make is that Top Draw took such care of the kid like it was their own. And that's rare. That's very cool. Thank you for sharing that, Dan. And actually that leads into, I wanted to talk with both Jonsky and Sarah about this. So Jonsky, we'll go ahead and start with you. You mentioned that this was Top Draw's first animated show that they had worked on. So what was that experience like for you? It was pretty wild, especially that we were new when we started working on the show and it was like, you know, big change in our company. We're usually like uh, do cutout animation, but glitch text came along and it has that hybrid of both cutout and paperless. So the senior animators that I, that we looked up to had a hard time at first. And um, as time goes on, they found like new ways to animate that they almost look like paperless, but we still have the cutout, uh, cutout technique that, we're, that we specialized in. And yeah, I don't know, like for me, it was <laughs> like, since it was my <laughs> first ever show, because, you know, batch and stuff, <laughs> it, I don't know, it doesn't change a lot, but at the same time, Working on a show that's unique in the company was a big deal. 
And yeah, well, that's, that's actually a big reason. We were one of the newest batches and for a long time they were saying like, because I am an old man at heart and I have no technology experience, they were saying, well, I can't hire this nerd. She only has paperless because I came from a rough animator position. And then I would just doodle on the side of like our exercise sheets and everything. And one of the directors saw it and was like, wait, we need people who can actually draw on Glitch. Just hire her, we'll train her. <laughs> and that was when we kind of found out that this would, it would become this blend. It was new in that sense for the studio because they have worked on all the projects they did. The My Little Pony movie did and stuff like that, but they had never completely blended these two separate technical process together before. So that was a completely new experience, yeah, because we had to get people up to speed on what rough animating was, especially towards the later episodes. It's wonderful that you kind of represent those two aspects. Most people probably know by now, but yeah, the show was a hybrid of the cutout is kind of the rigged, almost paper doll puppet type approach. And then of course the paperless is more a hand-drawn that gives you a lot of fluidity and the benefits of each because using cutouts keeps your characters on model and prevents you from having to fully meticulously animate every single aspect. But when you want really dynamic movement and certain fluidity, you do go to hand-drawn and then finding the marriage between those two helps in terms of efficiency and really the overall look. So that's really cool that you both had those different <laughs> backgrounds and then had to figure this out. I know it was hard, it was very hard on France as well. The French studio had to really figure this out. We all did, I think. Guys, did Ninja Turtles adapt hybrid? Rise of the Ninja Turtles, do you know? Ooh, you know what? I, <laughs> I feel like they were, Man, you know what? Sarah's gonna maybe listen to this later and like, <laughs> like no, Phil, you're completely wrong. Phil, if, I, you, if well, you want to save your, if you want to save your, your work relationship, I can always just assume and go. It kind of looks like it did. But. Okay, yeah, I didn't realize this was such a loaded question, but so it, I'm trying to determine <laughs> I, how many shows have done the hybrid style in the U.S. that Glitch tried. Oh, sorry, to, to clarify, I'm talking about, so Sarah Harper and Tom Barkle are, I currently, Sarah Harper's like my boss, and she also worked on two episodes of Glitch Text early on, but then went on to animate and like be an animation supervisor for Rise of the Ninja Turtles. But I think I remember them talking about trying to do some rigs for it. And every time they would try, it was just the characters were too complex. So I think a lot of it ended up being hand animated. I see. Um, yeah, we to, did to learn clarify. design is a big factor in whether or not you can do this and modify. Well, we, you know, we decided to make Leo like a river slider turtle and have like all these, you know, wild markings on him. And Mikey had like patches all over his body and stuff. And I think they, the characters were just a little too complex to try to ever puppet. So... It makes they, sense. We had to simplify yeah. it quite a bit from our original designs. Okay, so sorry. I just wanted to clarify <laughs> these, what the style was, <laughs> what the hybrid was, for people may not know what paperless means and stuff like that. No, that's very good. And Sarah and Jessica, too, I wanted to ask you guys, so had you worked at other animation studios before Top Draw, or was this like, this is my very first animation studio. Oh, and now we're doing this action show. <laughs> Go, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> I actually came from a Sniffle uh, animation studio, which is the one that worked on DuckTales and Vanicula and a bunch of, I think they were working on Teen Titans Go when I left. Mm. 
but it was essentially uh, yeah, I was a rough animator, and I crawled my way up kicking and screaming. So I was really taught the basics of that, which is why I have like zero technical experience. I never passed through that field. They just sent me on Ducktail Street, and we were on the finale episode, if I remember right. So uh, that kind of got me into the whole action thing. The minute we got introduced to Glitch and Turtles, I got super excited. That was just my entire life. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I've I know I've worked on well quote unquote animation because I don't know, like it's more like an indie company before I started working on Top Draw. I previously I used to work on this local movie called Paglisan. It's a animated feature uh musical that I know it talked it's about a married couple who are like falling out of love because mm. the husband has Alzheimer's and the wife has depression and like due to their mental illness, it's like their their marriage is slowly falling apart. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a really good movie, but at the same time, it's so sad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... I know one of my art directors also worked on Top Draw. So when I got to Top Draw, I kind of get the gist of their style, the cutout. Yeah. <laughs> and that's my previous work before Top Draw. Awesome. I have to see this movie. Yeah, yeah, that movie sounds great. So we'll, yeah, we'll it's have to... called Paglisan. <laughs> I'm writing it down. Yeah, yeah. I have to drop that in the comments. We'll put that in the, yeah. uh, the show notes for people. It's like, hey, and also watch this because it's fantastic. So, oh, yeah, it's, it's also Filipino, though. So. Hey, that's all <laughs> so right. There's like subscription, uh, subscription, uh, <laughs> subtitles, sorry. <laughs> hey, that, that's the beauty of animation. You can, you can also just watch it and get the gist of what's going on. So, so thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So, Phil, let's go to you boarding on this episode. So, you had mentioned before we started recording that you specifically wanted to work or wanted to talk about a Ridley episode. So what is it about <laughs> episodes? I think I know the answer because Ridley's my favorite character, but what is it about her? You're like, no, I need to, I need to talk about this. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's just so, so angry, right? But that makes her perfect. Like she brought such a different kind of energy to the table, I think. Like, and this one specifically, I, I think is an episode that resonates pretty hard with a lot of people that were, you know, I don't want to speak for everyone, but a lot of people that were working on the show, a lot of people just in animation in general, because it's about, you know, Miko, what she starts off thinking she's, she's like, am I a weirdo? Am I weird? And then she meets somebody that kind of sees eye to eye with her and I just thought it was a really special story and on top of that you know it was it was also co-written and voiced by Ashley Birch who again like you know I'm, I'm a huge fan of hers and I uh, actually got to like bump into her once in the hallway and Nick and kind of talk to her about the episode and everything and it was it was really cool so it was just one that I think from the jump we all felt really invested in like we could tell this was where the the story was really starting to like to develop and you know we already secretly knew that Ridley was going to come back because Dan had kind of like hinted at it so we we're like ooh, we're getting to introduce a you know like a new reoccurring character so like we, we were all just we were all just really ready and excited to, to jump into this one it was originally a season one episode 
you know, I think it was like one, I keep referring to it as like 111 in my head, that's but it's right. not that it anymore. Was. It was the 11th episode produced. That's right. And it was all, we, we saw the, see this entire 20 as to us, it was season one and then Netflix kind of redefined it in two sections. But this was the first episode where, you know, everybody had been doing very episodic stories. And part of our goal was to make the stories episodic, but to not abandon something serialized. The idea would be that we're slowly expanding this world with every episode and the characters are not resetting, they are growing. I use resetting loosely. I didn't mean to pun on that. And a lot of shows, you know, characters will have an experience and then at the end of that episode, they just snap back so that you don't, it doesn't matter what order you watch the episodes in. But with Glitch, we wanted to reward people who watched in order and start unveiling a bigger story. We were just going very slowly. And some of that was intentional. Some of that was the network asking us to slow down early on when we had more planned and we pulled back. But I know that some of our board team, I remember Sarah Partington, who also boarded on the show saying, hey, I kind of signed up for a serialized show. I mean, I love Glitch, and but like, is there more going on? So this was also great because it sort of said, hey, we're meeting people who are outside Five and Miko's experience with their own take on this world. And they don't revere Hanobi and this job the way others do. And that's just always great when you can bring in an outside perspective and really does return and is planned to continue to return along with other characters who will expand the larger glitch arc. Very good. And then I want to go over to you, Jules, because Dan had mentioned this, so definitely want to ask you about this. What is entailed with revisions? Because this is actually a question that I get a lot from students and mentees. So what is your job? What do you do? The best way I can describe it is like a metaphor for building a house. So like the board artists are the ones who kind of take the blueprints and draw them out. And it's a job of a revisionist to go in with a director. And the director is kind of like the foreman and goes, okay, cool, we need to change this. This room is not going to be a room we're going to do. We're going to change this here, fix this. So you kind of go in and, and help the directors edit and clean or change some scenes that need to be changed or hey, this needs to be cut, or this kit needs to be here. So you kind of do like little fixes and, and shifts here and there. It's a lot of good work because you're really learning more than you think you are. You are subconsciously absorbing everybody's artwork and everyone's boarding style. And you're just power training, essentially. But you won't know until you start boarding. And then you go, wait, how do I know this? What is this? What's happening here? <laughs> building muscle memory <laughs> yeah you're ba you're ba you're literally just building muscle memory because you're essentially studying at your job every day and you don't even know it like you're, you're picking up cues you're picking up staging and just little tips and tricks here and there like it's it's kind of amazing how that happens but well it does happen it's not this thing where it's like oh no will i ever be at points like no you will trust me it's it's <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like going to the gym and you're like oh i can only do a 10 pound dumbbell this is gonna be bad and then suddenly like a month later you're doing 30s and you're like oh what happened <laughs> it's like how did i get so much arm strength well and that's when you came in in what the beginning of season two because we didn't have the intro yet and you just uh, busted that out 
Well, that was which... because, you know, here's just talked about, it's funny that like, oh, you know, we had this one idea. It's, well, what happened was I had some free time. I'm like, well, I'll go to this, our little like gaming area and play like Banjo-Kazooie. And I was playing games. And I think Eric saw me and was like, hey, what you doing? I'm like, uh, just don't have anything to do right now. I'm just kind of killing some time until uh, I need to work. And he's like, next time you have like a break, come and see me. I'm like, uh, uh-oh. And then uh, <laughs> I had a break. I'm like, hey, he said to come see you next time I have a break. He goes, cool. Okay. Well, uh, pitch me an intro. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I went downstairs to my friends at Loud House. And I was like, uh, uh, they told me to pitch an intro. Now I'm freaking out. Okay. Well, here we go. <laughs> and we've posted. Uh his original boards on which the opening of the show is so closely based and it's amazing and Jules was also starting to board on the show as we were doing what would have been the Nickelodeon season two shows and also because Jules is Jules he had impact throughout in fact there's dialogue in this episode there are moments in this episode that came from directly from his suggestion and then very often he and Phil would have suggestions together based on whatever they (laughs) were talking about or got excited and and, you know, even uh, the casting of um, the glitch agent in, um, in the Mitch Williams episode, episode, our episode 10, I forget which it ended up being, was, a, was something Jules was like, hey, you know, it'd be great for this. And, and then us saying, all right, well, come on, let's go get that guy. You know? well, I mean, <laughs> Fred Tattashore. Yeah, thankfully you already, you'd already known him before. So I'm like, okay, cool. There's already a repertoire there. But it was funny because as soon as he came in and mentioned what I had heard him from, he, he did the Soldier 76 thing. He's like, big soldier. I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> I think it was funny. It was it was very gratifying because I'm like, hopefully he gets this really right. He's really good. But let's see what Eric thinks. And his first line delivery, Eric spun around his chair. I was like, that's it. That's our guy. <laughs> Amazing. So. But yeah, the, uh, the ending scene of this episode uh, was... I can humble brag and say that was that was mine, because I remember it ended on a different note, and I was like, "Huh, uh, should this end kind of like reflecting the beginning kind of message of like accepting the weirdness? Your weirdness is not weird; it's like what makes you you." Right. And so it was kind of a nice little button to the end of that. We needed that help, and Phil helped us kind of bring home the battle with Chomp Kitty at the end as well because he saw that we weren't really tying that ending with what we'd set up so much in the beginning with the very first battle in the episode. So elements of that came into play and Five and Miko's transformation and aspects of that. So we'll get into it when we see the show, but this was a super collaborative episode and we just become fans of everybody we meet and that extends to Jonsky and Sarah as well, who, you know, if we had continued on because we really got to know them as we were finishing up on those last few episodes by the art that they were posting as individuals and as we had more exposure to the animators themselves and not just their supervisors you know and so their opinions of the show meant a lot to us you know we respect how anybody who's passionate about it views it and what they like about it and we'll listen if there are things that they don't and they rarely put it that way like people aren't confrontational to say you know what i hate about this um, it's more though, well, in my experience, this is how I see somebody like Miko. And then those are the things we'd want to listen to and bend to because anyone else's very specific idea is going to be better than our generic idea. 
that's how Eric and I feel on the whole. That is really solid. So thank you everyone for sharing this episode, how you got on the episode, what you do. So now we're going to get into it. So I'll go ahead and read the synopsis. So Miko realizes that being a little weird can be awesome when she meets Ridley, a glitch modder with a mind blowing lair filled with creative wonders. So everyone at home, we have Netflix queued up to the episode. Again, that's season two, episode one, Glitch Modder. We have it set to zero, zero, zero. So at the count of three, not before and not after, you can push play along with all of us. And then you'll be synced up and you'll be able to hear what everyone has to say. So one, two, three. And here we oh, go. Oh no, Philippine internet. Oh no. <laughs> And we're in. Already it's crazy. <laughs> let's start let's start with what always feels like third act action uh, yeah, that's right great. away. <laughs> it's like yeah, this I feel like there was, that was <laughs> Yeah, a bunch of episodes were always Okay, we start on them fighting very 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 hard. Man, I did not think I was going to go away without an S&P. I just added Zara with like the rifle from the tower and we were like, yeah, we really let's tried see, to we're going to have her and. <laughs> oh, S&P note. Make sure they have magnet. Oh, yeah. I remember Katie talking about that on another episode where they were talking, saying, is it OK for Miko to be on top of the van? Yes. Is that fine? Yes, we'll put we'll put we'll say it says magnet. It's fine. <laughs> yeah that we specifically had to add the magnet glove and you know we, we had to like tone down it's hard right because you want to put like video game weapons in but it, i you know i think i think maybe uh like firearms get a little dicey so we had to make it look pretty cartoony and but you know that's the style of the show so it worked out great yeah um, we really we tried to be sensitive to not weaponizing these children so literally yeah also it just was again more unique to the show i mean you have a thousand other shows that may do a traditional weapon we should do something glitchy because this is glitch text or something video game inspired um, but sometimes you just want that feeling of somebody's laying down cover fire and that's the, the posing and that's the thing that that gives it to you so that's i think why it works and why it wasn't noted you know it's just that's it was more about the feeling and then that poor, All these poor people. <laughs> <laughs> also, Sarah and, and Jonsky, like I, I'm super curious to hear like when y'all when y'all get to a scene that you animated or a shot that you did, like please, I, I'm so curious to know like who did what. <laughs> uh, I did mostly I did mostly Ridley scenes. Um, but basically sorry about this about this particular scene, because like I've just been getting into mobiles lately and I was thinking like God, honestly, I can understand why everybody's mad at Miko because <laughs> if everyone's got their supporting role already and someone, someone's interrupting your lane, that is so irritating. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be against my favorite girl, but no, my it's goodness. A great no, point. <laughs> That's a solid point. She's, she's a wonderful character, but you know, 
people make mistakes. She's got to tone it down. Yeah. She does. Yeah, I'm actually glad you said that. She needs to chill, though. <laughs> throughout the show, we try to create situations where it's not like um, a really wonderful character is being ganged up on by a really mean character. What makes Mitch terrible is how he's doing it and the way he is. But he's not wrong. And we were saying that before sometimes. Like A lot of times, Mitch is not coming out of left field it's just that he takes advantage and that he's not nice you know oh like the whole yeah. him just grinning there for a second it's like he he knew exactly it's like time for my my fun yeah i can i can i can splinter this little party a little bit and i can dig it's a little meaner than we would normally write him there, there are times when the characters kind of need to serve a purpose for the episode and we're trying to do something as quick as possible within a scene and his targeting of her is kind of abrupt but you know sometimes you just need to do that to get the story on you know i, I will say i get to i get to touch touch up a bit of that beginning scene uh of her her and five her glaring at five specifically and like her flipping her hair and stuff like so her cool. hair has ruined me for boarding because now everybody has long hair i make it like, <laughs> my board. i'm like it's fun and now i'm like great <laughs> Also, it's weird coming back to this after a while. I'm hearing their voices again. Everyone's voice is so perfect and good. And uh, man, I miss I miss hearing these people every day. They, agree. they are incredible. There's there's such a go ahead, please. There's such a weird level of like disconnect for me because I've I've started playing Final Fantasy with Monica lately and so I keep hearing the Miko voice and I, it, like it throws me every time <laughs> that's like that's like everyone's dream is to play Final Fantasy with Miko that's so cool and does she just shift does she shift into the voice when she's like really into it like I always do when I'm like more in the middle of like league or something and I shift into like dumb singing voices and stuff yeah, when when we're about to die in a video game, Jules will start like running away while singing like "Country Road, Take Me Home," and oh, Monica's God. very much the same. Where we're like, she'll we'll be in a fight, and she she usually tanks, and I I'll heal for her. And we have another friend that works on Big City Greens with her that does DPS, and so like whenever the tank situation gets overwhelming, you'll hear the Mikoisms come out, like the no 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 no, like that's so good. It's it's, it's really funny. How much she just is this character. Like she is she was the perfect pick for Miko. I can't imagine anybody else. What was yeah. fun about this is again, you know, you're always asking what if. So it's like, well, if glitches exist, like what then can you mod a glitch? Like, you know, what if it's just computer code, can you hack that code, et cetera? And it was just a great premise to start bringing in like how other people can have relationships with this Hanobi technology which was really the whole foundation of an idea like Ridley. And what I love about Ashley Birch is she really sees things in terms of drama. She, she was really concerned with Ridley as like a dark, a very dark character. And, you know, maybe even it, it seemed a little too heavy at first, but that's never a problem. You always want a foundation of something very real. And we made a promise to Ash that like, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a show for families and stuff. And we're going to, we're going to lighten it up, but we're not going to betray who that character is. And I know she was really happy with how it came out because she's like, yeah, you know, it only takes a, a few moments, really important moments to see that Ridley, you know, she's, she's somebody who's, um, she's had a history and it affects her and affects her decisions and it'll be part of her yeah. character going forward.
And um, sorry, just to add on to that, it's like um, my favorite thing about Ridley as a character wasn't that oh she had this dark side that we needed or um in the show. It was more that you can kind of understand her if you are in the creative field and you take pride in what you do. And I think she does mention that later. You take it very personally, especially if someone's there to critique your work or constantly um, what do you call it? Uh, give you bad advice or tell you, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing this instead. Right. Um, it's it's so easy to come off as the bad guy when you say, no, I don't want to do that. It's such a personal feeling you can kind of relate to. It's true. And again, like even though Miko is the quote unquote hero and Ridley is the antagonist, Ridley you have to believe in what Ridley wants. You have to feel exactly what she feels. Uh, otherwise, it, it is. It's wrong. It's sending a false message to people because you know, it's not a good or bad issue. You know, the, and I think that's ultimately what the bigger story of the show will be about is that this technology is just an evolving form that people and will have different relationships with and um, who's to say how it should be used. Like any medium. I mean, it, it should be used to make that really cool shark beanbag chair. Like, yeah, basically. I want that. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> That's what I want. And Ash plays Ridley. And of course, like, she was like, well, what do you want the voice to be? And I was like, what do you want the voice to be? I'm like, yeah, Ash, like, there's no, there's no us telling you. There's just us finding it together. And she tried a few things and she even gave a few ideas for the design. Ironically, it was not based on like, a lot of people see Pidge from Voltron, and so do I, but the um, source character was actually something else that Ash brought us, and I'm sorry, I can't remember now what it was. We'll have to put it in the show notes. It was a different inspiration. The Pidge thing is kind of a coincidence. She has such a natural <laughs> voice too, though. Everything she does has such a natural sounding like, there's a lot of voice actors who are really good, but you can kind of, if you listen really hardly, kind of tell us that it's, oh, this person's playing their character. She that's hits true. that role of, like, it just sounds like that's the person. Yeah, and it's hard to be a little bit heightened so that it's a characterization, but acted so genuinely that you believe in the person. And that's just the right tone for the show. This, like, wackadoo cartoon that we want you to believe in our characters. That's oh, the shot that shook the internet. <laughs> yeah, Chris, that was Chris Graham. That was all Chris Graham. He's like, hey, so uh, can you do this one scene pretty much just, like, Ghost in the Shell? I'm like, uh, I can try. And then he's like, don't worry, I, I got it. And then he came back with that. That was horrifying. Oh. Is this you in here, Sarah? That that jetpack stuff? No, no, no. Um, I handled the much later stuff. Oh my later. gosh, that's the big yeah. <laughs> I apologize. I, I feel Ooh, free to I'm, curse I'm us really, out, guys. But... Yeah, I was gonna say. I'm, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm so sorry. By my love for this for this small child. God, I love her so much. <laughs> uh, like that Mike Sims. Like we we in, we'll find him soon. <laughs> mm, I wonder oh who, could it, who could T B. Mm. <laughs> That's all I have to say about so him. It, like, mm. Yes. In terms of like animating a character, like 
was Ridley super complex and like hard to keep track of from from an animation standpoint like she just has so many like things like the goggles and the the tutu and the boots and everything or did y'all like is she fun to draw like how do y'all feel about her on the on the animation side uh personally i absolutely loved animating her um just because she was weird so her design was kind of memorable and you could kind of take it to muscle memory immediately um the only sad part was when we were just about done with our scenes and then we got a last minute email saying wait 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 we all forgot her gauntlets, so we all had to go back and review everything. That oh was a thing. So that was it. Oh it's my just gosh. the minor details that caught us off guard. I actually never animated <laughs> Ridley in any of the uh, past episodes that I worked on. But I did work on the dragon, and it was a heck to animate. <laughs> yes. Don't hold back. We want to hear about it. There's a lot... There's, we're, we're obviously proud of so much and we appreciate everything everyone did. But we also, as we went on, we tried to, to learn to simplify more. We had less to prove for one thing. And also we started to see what this new system and pipeline, like how it was working and, and the effect it was having on everybody. And to be very aware that the show was so difficult that you know it, it needs to be sustainable and we need to pick and choose. And so... And, and I also think people who are genuinely interested should know it's hard and we made it harder. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just the industry, I think. It's going to be hard forever. No one knows why we love it. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish, I wish uh, Sarah Parrington was here because I, I can tell every time she does, there's anything that's on, on our episode, we can tell there's like a cute part. It's always her she would always do these like faces or like especially all the uh the horn acting yeah she did a lot of she, horn. she had a lot of horn so it was like a lot of the cat flopping around and like rolling over and stuff so expressive sarah sarah loves to draw stuff that leans into i think what she would describe as like the the dirt factor yeah <laughs> and that's and that's it right there that you know the cat just like pawing at the side of the uh the orb that it's stuck in and stuff like it's so cute yeah. and so Allie, those, those moments like in going going gauntlet like miko is having a moment and ali just comes up and puts uh, her head or its head under miko's hand like a moment like that that is just you know uh an empathetic pet you know like that kind of like a subconscious animal where where derp meets pure love um she has such a way with that well added, she even added she, she, she added, added that pure hair that what was the the shot from from 101 yeah where she just had nico like playing with her hair and there was something that was so subtle but yeah. so real about that that like when when nico gets nervous she'll kind of like tug on that one long dangly strand in the front and i'm like man that's something i never would have thought of but she just she made it feel so like it, it was so perfect it felt so like human and and real well when you all talk yeah. about what you love how the voice actors bring that quality that's where your acting does the same thing where when you guys look for not just the dynamic posing but like the little moments little acting moments little behaviors that is the the factor that merges it all together you know and where you guys are all a tandem performance all you know every department that primarily the actors um 
board artists and animators are three hands in the same puppet performance. Right? Yeah. Um, and sorry, to bring this back to like a technical standpoint, like I was honestly just about to say like, God, I wish Sarah Parton got way more parts to write in this because I love those little things that kind of bring more humanity to the characters. Yeah. And a really fun thing about us in doing the later episodes and they were just telling us, oh, you know what, just take over as rough animators for a bit, was that you did get to introduce like little ticks in them because they they you they get to tell you advice like make this look a little more human instead of the usual pose to pose robotic stuff you get and cut out. Mm. So that was super fun to do. And this was like one of the first episodes I ever did. Um, my part's gonna be coming up soon. <laughs> uh, yes, and... you'll have to point out your stuff. Yes, please do. <laughs> oh, I want to see. Speaking of so... that. That little no, she didn't. Was that you, Phil? The little no, she didn't moment. Oh yeah, that just felt like such a such a like Scott Pilgrim joke yeah. that I wanted to throw in there. I've been watching a lot of like Arrested Development too, and I love Ron Howard as the narrator. Like whenever somebody oh, yeah. messes up, and they're just like, he was incorrect. Like immediately proving the character wrong. Yeah. The character will say, I'm kind of a big deal. And then Ron Howard will be like, he was in fact not a big deal, you know? <laughs> it's it's the best. I swear, I, I still hope one day in, in my, my hopes and dreams we can some of this stuff because like their relationship, like Five Amico's acting in general is so pure in every way, especially this whole stick. <laughs> Because it's like he's definitely hurt, but he's also camming it up in a way that's like it means something, but it's just so nonsensical. Yes, I I love yeah. friends who are so media obsessed that they know that they're, when they're in a trope or quoting a trope, and so it's that sort of self conscious moment mixed with very genuine emotion. And in a way, yeah. I, that, I feel very personal about that moment. It reminds me of of me and Ash, like Ash would be very sometimes just so fanciful and then I'm there trying to lo make logic of it. And I, I actually wrote, wrote that button because I was up late revising and I was like, wait a minute, do they really like seaweed or is that just like Ash is just doing a non sequitur? And when I looked up the <laughs> fact, I was like, oh my gosh, you know what? Five should tell Miko. Like, not that it matters, but he cared enough to, to look. So he, he doesn't quite understand her, but he wants to. And that's what makes them sweet, I think. Yeah. He's also, he's, uh, sorry about that. Five, as I say, five, just such an innocent, innocent kid, such a good kid. Yeah, he's wholesome. Purest boy. <laughs> totally, totally. B okay. baby B-O-I. I, I got a I got a feeling that this is this is gonna be some of some of Jonah's stuff the the dragon kitty here. <laughs> I I am so sorry you had to animate this cat. We didn't have to put a spike ball on the tail, but we did. Yeah, this is pure uh, you guys and Phil right now. <laughs> like even even because we in this part I believe Studio One Hundred worked on this. But even with, with the guides and everything, it's still pretty hard, especially that we both implemented the cutout paperless hybrid system. <laughs> wow. But yeah. I mean, it worked 
great. How, how like what what's the what's the over under like what's the hardest part about like this character has so many moving parts like is it I imagine animating a character with four legs is is got to just be the worst. Oh, I've I've been drawing four-legged characters for the longest time though. So I'm it's pretty okay but so you were ready time, for this a hundred <laughs> mainly because you know you can like see like the lines like going going on the edge and stuff because we're also looking at the tiny details too so that there will be i don't know like probably like fans would like look up it's like oh animation error <laughs> <laughs> there, there oh gosh i'm sorry i'm getting Super excited! Like a lot of barrier and, 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 and wizard stuff. Oh, sorry. And, sorry, I'm sorry. I just got really excited because the warrior and wizard stuff, and and the, those are the stuff I handled. And it was fun because sometimes they just go like, "Oh, uh, animate this," and I'd be like, "Okay, uh, where are the roughs for the proper models?" And they're like, "Eh, just doing it." <laughs> 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 that was the one, but ridiculously hard. It's, it's, Oh, I love this episode so much. It's so good, you guys. And 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 it's there's the, the acting here. This even went a little further. We 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 uh, trimmed it back, I think, but just, you know, the the emotion holding that cord and making her decision and falling back into the portal in this like sacrificial way. It's so great. And then thematically, <laughs> oh, we, you know, where our job oh. is to be against modding, but the modding just saved our butts and you know, our gauntlets are have limitations and other people can can help us with that, you know, but right now we're not at that point with these this character. So there's there's so much happening like thematically, emotionally. It opened and, the door. It opened the door later on for ideas you guys had, had mentioned to us about like the whole do you stay like with justice where it's pure and trim prim and proper or do you do good but it's not legal, you know? Right. Oh. Now, okay, so we're we're at the are you guys at the last bit now, like kind of the, yes. the epilogue here? Yeah. This that's Jules's bit, because I'm I I'm, I'm at the part where they're playing cards. Like they're they're playing knockoff magic the okay. gathering. I was gonna say that. This is awesome. I always I, I, I added I added that in. Like we gotta make fun of every, every time there's a magic reference in this, it's always against one of our friends, Phil and my friends. <laughs> We had we had one friend that like we were all starting to learn to play magic together and he had this one card that we just hated and like in retrospect it wasn't that bad but we were like we're gonna we're gonna pile on this swamp deck every single chance that we can like just as kind of an in joke so any yeah anytime there's a uh, a reference to magic it's me or Jules like um, being salty about getting our butts kicked by one of our friends in the game. <laughs> I remember also, after, oh sorry, just sorry. like after watching that. the first animatic of this, I immediately messaged either Jules or Phil on Twitter, and this was our first interaction. I was like, oh my god, who added the magic part? Do you guys play it? Do you need friends? <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah, we can still play magic. It's so beautiful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I remember... <gasps> Yeah, the after after we screened the episode, or uh, I think it, no, it wasn't the episode. After we screened the animatic, because uh, I was like sweating bullets because I'm like, oh god, this is the first time I've ever boarded something that's like be shown to like most of the crew. And I remember because I added the whole 
some, some, I added some of the ending lines of just like I, I think you guys eventually fleshed out the lines, Dan. But like I remember adding some of them to kind of fit the rest of the scene. But the, uh, the magic lines? Uh, no, just like some of the dialogue stuff. Oh, oh, yes, yes, um, yes, you did quite a bit. I do miss the fact when they when they wrote out because like I eventually I originally had Miko like piggyback on on five and they ran out like like dorks, but uh. I think it ends better with Phil. With Phil's line, where he just walks back by and it's like, "We're all weirdos. Get back to work." Because uh, I remember because yeah, I... Ian, Ian turned around and he goes, "And Ian is this Ian? Ian is so intimidating, but I love him to death because he's a, a well of knowledge." And he turned around and goes, "Hey, uh, who added that last line?" I'm like, oh, that was me. He's like, "That was good. I like that." It buttons <laughs> the, the whole episode. And what one distinction that was important is, I don't know if it was your original line, I think somebody else took a pass at your line. And there was a version where it was, um, you're, you're, you're both weirdos, get back to work. Um, where Phil is basically saying to them, yeah, you guys are freaks, just get on with it, right? And mm. it says a lot about the character of Phil and the heart of the show that it was really important that that not be the message. Phil is not the crusty guy who doesn't give a crap and he doesn't think poorly of these kids. He's just tired and he is over it. That part's true. But can relate. you know, saying we're all weirdos <laughs> was so much more important. It's just like get over yourselves. We're all, you know, we're all freaks and we're all just trying to, you know, get by. So that slight change to Phil sort of get to lay down the theme and say, and coming from the most kind of cynical character is kind of important because it almost tells you that he'd been through that many times over probably. And he's at a like, yeah, yeah, moving on place. But for Miko, she's just starting to figure it out, you know, but we are, we're all weirdos. Like there's no such thing as normal. <laughs> there is no such thing. <laughs> so that ended up being the, the big takeaway and the fact that you felt the instinct to put that button on really helps like do that and at the end of the day we always want to go out on the wholesome note that's just kind of part of the spine of the show you know we're trying to have fun and make a great show and then the hope is that younger people who see it just grow up and default to these kind of characters and situations instead of maybe some of the stuff that they were defaulting that my generation defaulted to, which is subconsciously not as, um, not as, you know, well-rounded and not as accepting. <laughs> so it's important. Very much so. I feel so, like yeah. it'd be a time to, oh, sorry. No, no, go, sorry. go, go for Sarah. I keep talking over people. I feel like if this had come out just a bit later during whole situation we're in now, where yeah. suddenly everyone's trying to get into gaming and this is suddenly, we all suddenly realize, oh my God, this is a great way to connect. This would have been a perfect time to come out. Cause like, this is something I'm realizing too, the whole gaming, gaming is such an interesting culture to take part in. And it would have been great to open up more discussions about this. I feel like it, the interest would have definitely peaked if it came out at just the perfect moment. Yeah, it would, it, it, the fact that everybody is now like 
been forced to have such a direct relationship <laughs> with their screens and to seek out, you know, yeah. community and socialization, a lot of people like Miko's parents, or, you know, would probably be going, oh, I get it now, you know, like, there's so <laughs> much to be had here. And then you take, you know, hopefully a responsibility into it. The internet lets people be very anonymous and there's a lot of poor behavior and people who identify as part of different groups and so they protect those they interests very forcefully but if you notice we celebrate the obsession because we're all nerds so we're with you like if you love Chuck E. Cheese we get it like you dreamt about it it's your favorite thing in the world but if you have to choose between that and what your friend is feeling in this moment you'll notice our characters always tend to make that right decision, no matter how much Five may love, say, you know, Chuck E. Cheese or uh, I'm uh, Ralphie Bear or whatever, like he's there yeah. for me though, and vice versa. So that way you celebrate the obsessions. So you're not telling people they're wrong to have these deeply personal connections to games and characters. It's just a matter of balance, you know, and don't let that overshadow your ability to just listen to another person. All the characters really get along very well. Like it's even Mitch. Like Mitch has yeah. his moments, and he definitely he has his moments and his reasons. And you can see, like, not forgiving him being a jerk at times, but you can see him kind of warming up people, especially in season two. Like, there's a lot more things he does with the team that you can tell is like, okay, you're you're definitely doing this because you want to hang out, don't you? Like secretly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially especially in our in one of them, like our 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 D and D one. Um, specifically him coming over because he comes over to hang out with the group and it's like you're not you're here for for the for the game night but you're definitely not yeah he he crashes that. their game night with like a really weak excuse yeah. but clearly <laughs> he just wants to play he, he probably goes through the most of a when we say that the show the characters do grow even though the episodes are very episodic stories like the story of each episode tends to wrap up but the big picture keeps going uh, which is mostly world building and 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 the reveal of a plot that's coming but you can see it in mitch because i think he changes the most in order and he's not going to suddenly redeem or become a different person i don't think that's in him but he's he well he would become a different person i just don't mean it would be an overnight change you know but he's we're learning more about him and seeing he's not just one note. None of the characters are just one note. Mitch isn't like the jerk. Well, you, know? you would always kind of pitched it to us as this idea. And I think it's something we tried to keep in mind that like Mitch kind of has like that older sibling energy where it's like he'll he'll pick on people in the group. But then if anybody outside of that group, you know, I think ever came after Five and Miko, he'd probably have their back and be like, no, like we're all techs. Like you need to stand down. Like, yeah, he, he's... He's a little, you know, real maybe a little bit. Is all about. Yeah, like at the end of the day, they're all still on the same team, and I think he recognizes that. Like, he'd never go so far as to like betray anybody. He's just a little prickly. Yep, he just doesn't want anybody in his way or making things more difficult. He's just a more obnoxious version of Phil in a way, where he just wants to get on with it, and he doesn't play well with others. But he knows what he's doing, and he is really good, and he, and he does start to respect and appreciate the others when he sees they do bring something to the table, you know, and so he, and, and certainly people have noticed that he, he does end up taking a liking to Ridley for a few reasons. And I think one of them is yeah. respects like, wow, she 
can do something I can't. And that's pretty cool. And just to bring this all the way back, all the way back to that Ridley line where she's like, oh, blah, 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 guilty. And it, it kind of just occurred to me like, oh, that's kind of what they are. They're not just a strange party of RPGers. They're literally just a strange Discord server whose obsession just drew all these weirdos in. And they kind of have to bond over that, even though they're so separate. And it, like, it makes it kind of sadder because Ridley comes from that place where she obviously was super excited to meet someone who shared the same obsession. And that's very rare yes. um, because you can see how important that bond is to the rest of the team. And she wants something like that. And Absolutely. it's kind of heartbreaking for her to realize like, oh, wait, I don't belong here. Never mind. Bye. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> you put it so well. I love that, that they're all just part of this Discord server because they all share the same interest. That's like such a great way to describe the entire <laughs> cast. <laughs> I'm really grateful that you, and, that you and Eric really let us kind of push, and I think everyone did as a team effort, but I think the main key that I enjoy, especially coming into this, was it's a show about games and game, like the love of games, but yes. it's not a flanderization of it. It's not the obsession of it, and the characters are not like, whoa, gamers, like no one's doing <laughs> that. They might say something here and there, but then again, they're kids, so they're going to say some dumb things here and there, but at the yes. same time, no one is one note. No one is, and they all get along in ways. They're like, this is multifaceted. Five and Birdie hanging out for uh, collection quests was great because it's like, you know what? People in, in certain episodes might be like, oh, Birdie's the butt of the joke. It's like, no, no, he's not. Like, Five oh. likes Birdie. Like, they all like him. He, yeah, he may not socially get cues as much, but at the end That's of the day, true. they yeah. really like. Like five, five and him share such a similar mindset in terms of like efficiency and like oh these little nitty gritty details of you know five even mentioned like oh I love doing like button assignments and stuff and it's like yeah this is just as nerdy as Bird you want to do a side quest like that's why they can all ultimately connect yeah because they overlap they're this like Venn diagram where they're all yeah. just like have these places where they can complement each other and they also most of the time have aligned goals uh, and they just go about them differently but the thing about Bergy, i just want to say was actually discussed a lot with this episode because it is very innocent to lean for any of us and i did it more than anyone like where you lean back on uh, especially when you're tired and you're looking to kind of just we need a gag here you know you may lean back on some of those tropes that again my generation grew up with and i noticed even on casa grandes there's like occasional jokes about like the homeschooled ginger kid is always the last one you know let's all have a laugh at the at him because he's so awkward because he's ginger haired and and homeschooled and allergic to milk our <laughs> show tried to be the opposite of that we'd say like yeah. that kid is a hero in this world and if you notice in the first scene when mitch is checking in with everyone bergie's just in a tree and the original version of that gag was a little bit more of that kind of joke. Everybody's on it. And then there's Bergy. And we had to have a discussion to say, look, this is hilarious and it's great physicality. But remember, Bergy's part of the team. Bergy's a glitch tech for a reason. And even though he can be funny and awkward, I think the ultimate solve would have been that there should be a method to his madness. It looks like he's doing something totally stupid, but as everyone pulls off their part of the plan to have Bergy 
land and you realize, oh, that's why he was hanging upside down, you know, would have been great. We just <laughs> didn't have time. Timing in these episodes is so tight. And we fixed it by having Mitch be accepting of him. We literally changed the line that we had before, which I don't remember, to him saying, you do you, which was at least Mitch saying like, and Bergie's going to do whatever Bergie's going to do <laughs> in, a, in a way that's more accepting than like, oh, and this useless guy. But it was a big talk because we all had to say, well, what kind of gags are okay and what kind of gags aren't and why? Anyway, it was awkward. It was awkward for all of us because everyone did like Bergy, but characters like him could be the butt of the joke sometimes. And there'd be, there's plenty of jokes in the show that imply, oh, because Phil's a big guy, he's going to be eating all the time. And that's kind of a trope. And it's funny and it works and it's not necessarily wrong. And I love that we define Phil by so many other things that I don't feel like it's a problem. But looking back, it's probably one of the things that if we had all the time in the world, they'd say, well, what else could he be doing in the scene besides eating a chocolate brownie crepe? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so just to say, we try our best. We, we try to look at our the stuff and tweak it if we can and just be conscious. And it's not right or wrong. We're just all trying to be mindful. But my hope is that you guys don't have to be as mindful as I do and this next generation doesn't have to be as mindful as as you do and that's the yeah. plan ultimately to get us to a place where there's so much dimensionality and we accept so many different types of people that there isn't like any one character who you expect to fill some archetype that's yeah. my speech and <laughs> yeah, that's I, 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 oh. <laughs> no, I, I want to bring all of that because i didn't get the i didn't get to take for it and the whole sign-up sheet for the Bergie episode, which I was really sad about because my two favorite characters, it's Ridley and Bergie. And um, I think Bergie, for me, like, I appreciated him so much because even if he is a goofball of a character, you can kind of already tell it's so hard to write that kind of character because it is so realistic. There are people that, personally, you love to hang out with. They're goofy and they do whatever, and you kind of just accept them as they come along. And they're doing something strange and you're like yeah you know that's just them we love them for yeah. that no one else can understand what i can understand how that falls into so many stereotypes and it's so hard to bring them out of that and it's such a big reason like nobody could understand why i was so obsessed with bergie and every episode and every line he would appear in animatic i turn around and go ah, did you see my boy it's oh, <laughs> <laughs> so awesome He's, I love your fan so art of him too. It's one of my favorite pieces. <laughs> Sarah did a piece of Bergie that we need to post in the show notes. Oh, please it's do. So yeah, good. send it over. We'll put that and in Josh the show notes. Josh Sussman is that goofy, lovable person. And I knew Josh. So the other part of it for me was saying, okay, well, after we write this scene, I have to go direct Josh. And I want Josh to see, we didn't just write him a scene where it's like, ha ha, you're the jerk. You know, like I knew I would have to look him in the eye and say, hey, this is what we're doing so that helped keep me conscious it's not like I was just so evolved you know but I have a friend who's ginger haired who's sick of seeing ginger characters be villains or dorks and I had Josh who just is this lovable amazing sweet good-hearted person who's both brilliant and you know a character so again surrounding yourself with diversity too just helps you know when you look at your friends and you say well are they represented in this show? And, and that's what we ask of everybody to say, like, if you don't see something you relate to in the show, then let's put it in. And again, that's why I think Eric and I would always be open to that because 
anything's better than our just guess as to what some generic yeah. character would be. Jonah, did I did we step on something you were saying before? Oh uh, no, I was I just want to like talk about how it's and it's really well it's kind of like further down the conversation at this point but i i really i just want to say that i really appreciated what glitch text has in store because like i've never seen a show that talks about video games like this you can see like different kinds of genres what i really like most is the mobile app episode the one where they mm-hmm. i know they collect at that, 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 yes uh, i forgot Freak. collection <laughs> quest yeah i really like that episode cuz like in irl people who plays like mobile games were usually like looked down upon and then like <laughs> and then like i'm i'm not mu- honestly i'm not much of a gamer myself although i'm also not much of a mobile gamer myself too but seeing that one like video games is not always like the consoles the pcs there's also like for ana for mobiles too and it's yeah it's like a breath of fresh air you can see like not just video games like games it's so <laughs> like true you, you can see like magic the gathering you can see dungeons and dragons and even in this episode like the glitch modder i don't see video games talk uh, video game shows talk show about uh, like this side of the video game community like they're like you know tweaks and stuff and yeah it, i i don't know i just appreciate the like the diversity like both like the characters and the writing and the topics that they show here it's maker culture it's nice. is such a huge part of it now yeah. and it is now a medium you know you can pick up a camera and make your own home movie and you can also pick up <laughs> any form of software including a paper and pencil frankly and and start game designing and so that's part of the culture and worth looking at and then there's a book called getting gamers which was a big influence on us in that it covered the scope of personality types both of gamers developers and the cultural impact of gaming and they would talk about how gamification is used in jobs you know if miko's mom if she was using a coupon app is essentially playing a game where she's like unlocking achievements and she's maximizing points and she's like doing all this stuff you know with regard to saving money at home or whatever or or that could be something her dad is doing you know like maybe at somebody's workplace there are incentives and a ladder to climb and stuff that's laid out basically as an rpg so gaming is like permeated every aspect of people's lives we're kind of all gamers even those that don't think they are and we want to dispel the myth that an app gamer is not a real gamer or that just doesn't make sense that kind of like us versus them anti tribalism is part of what leads to the troll culture too it's like it's much yeah. better to say you just have a different in on this world than me you know and that's valid that's fine you do you burgie <laughs> <laughs> so nika's not going to sit down and play overwatch you know she's going to just noodle around on her phone but what's wrong with that and because she's yeah. that person she saved everyone's butts in that episode and so did burgie <laughs> Yes indeed. Yeah, so this 
I love this. I love just hearing you guys talk. You guys make my job so easy. I don't have to do say anything. I just have to sit back. Just because y'all. Well, thank have you such... so much for putting this entire thing together. Oh my God, it's fun. <laughs> it's really I'm, fun. I'm really glad that y'all could join us, especially you, Johnsy and Sarah, because it's so cool to have the animation team be able to come on. Yeah. I mean, not to say that I appreciate, you know, Dan, Phil, and Jules. You guys are rad. So super glad that you guys are here as well but it's always great to hear on the animation side because being on pre-production side we don't see this you know i'm a revisionist yeah. as well and so when we're done with revisions when we're done with boards and writing and whatnot it's like it, it gets sent away and then it comes back months later and it's like magic it's animated so it's really <laughs> great to hear no it's it's hard Hard. Well, and also people say yeah, I want to I want to work in animation. How do I work at Nickelodeon? And it's like <laughs> Nick doesn't I'm, do the animating, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's time we learn yeah. who's animating the shows. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there is animation done mm. in the US, but the majority is done by Sarah and Jonsky, and there's so many people like them, and their supervisors, and people need to know that. Yeah, yeah. I really well, appreciate that you like invited us all here because like. I kind of find like the production part underappreciated. Yeah. Especially with the, uh, how do I say this? Like the sort of like the reality here in our local animation industry. Yes. So it was really, it was, uh, it was a appreciated, like it also like shines light for all of us here who had worked on the shows that you guys worked on too. Absolutely. And, yeah. I want to say this was the first project I'd ever worked on where it didn't even feel like it was work at times. It felt like friends, which is why I was so adamant about like, does Dan want anything? I'll just send him everything. Because <laughs> at that point, it didn't feel like, oh, I, I don't want to see anyone as like a client. I don't want to see anyone as like my project manager or as my boss. I want us to be friends. And it was so refreshing to have that, our weird Twitter interactions. And I know I sent you a lot of I sent you a lot of personal messages so when you were feeling down and I was feeling down. Oh and yeah. It was so nice to like foster that. And this was this was the first time I've ever had where I was so happy to meet Phil because I can still geek out about like our current projects we still get have going on. And I don't know, like I absolutely love that because it felt like the show itself translated so well to real life and how we were interacting with each other. I miss our pen pal boxes the minute like custom stops being annoying. <laughs> we gotta send you another batch of stuff. Those who uh, follow our Twitter that. can see all the amazing care packages that, that <laughs> Sarah and everyone has sent us and we posted pictures of the art and we're sending them care packages. And again, we talked about this in the other podcast, any way to show people, first of all, it's a genuine connection, period. There is a, their friendships have been made and relationships go beyond the show. At the same time, we're always conscious to say, there's more than one way to pay people, especially when we know for a fact that the industry is geared to sometimes take advantage and that their people aren't always paid the way they should be. And there's only so much control that, you know, a show producer can have. These are corporate and political issues that affect those things. So what can we do? Well, we can provide education, exposure, relationship, basic appreciation, and then also literally send each other care packages. Let the animation team actually watch the completed animation. Maybe they'd be interested to see how their work came together. Like <laughs> little things that 
we try to do to just say there's respect and we're a team. So that's something I'd like young creators to listen to as well and producers and artists. Be aware of who everyone is. Try to have an appreciation and try to show that appreciation. And there are going to be limitations. There's going to be rules. Not all of them are going to be fair and people should be learning about that so that they can have an opinion and things can change but also just do anything you can and that's really it it's just like a basic respect and appreciation because we all love the same thing it is or it is like the characters with gaming we love animation we love making art and just appreciate each other's different point of views into that yeah oh (laughs) I'm so sorry, Angela. Now you know what they all go through because now you have so much more editing and stuff to do. And it's like, everything about glitch text is overcomplicated and then, and long-winded and, but very wholesome and (laughs) well-intended. But this is is what we enjoyed doing, I think, on the show was sitting down and talking out the characters and like coming to that understanding. But I don't know, I think that's part of what made it, you know, to... Sarah's point, like, it's what made it feel like a family. It felt like we were coming in every day and just, like, kicking it and having fun in this world, so. It's amazing we got a show done. <laughs> no, I mean, I was impressed with it, like, I mean, it was it was episode on Bergie, just Bergie. Just Bergie. Serial for 30 minutes, I'll that's to, okay. I'll have to call up Josh and be like, hey, do you want to just do, like, Josh and Sarah very special episode where y'all just- He does. I would listen to that. I would absolutely listen to that. <laughs> he does. I would be speechless for and an hour. To... Yep. All right. We're going to do a, a separate podcast. Spe- we, just, we just need, we need Dan in the bit voice to do like the oh. holiday special lead in, like on a very oh special episode of the Glitch Text podcast. You know what I mean? Oh, I love it. Just have like- hey, like cereal is cinnamon Christmas toast music. crunch. We'll <laughs> be eating cinnamon toast crunch and discussing friendships and you know <laughs> and labor law and foreign and domestic Wait. labor laws. <laughs> oh That's like that episode of The Simpsons That's where like the old crusty episode. Some hot takes right there, Mitch. Yeah. The AFL CIO. He's like, what do you think about the state of unions in America? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Wait, you guys have unions? I love it. Well, yeah, yeah, what's a union? <laughs> what's a union? Uh, that, could, that could be an episode, too. No, yes, it, I, it, no. it can. As someone who came yeah. from live action to animation and found mm-hmm. a very different experience as far as unionization and all that, I can I can speak to that 2,000%, and I'm sure everyone here can. Yeah. And, and again, as the industry does invest so deeply in animation and quality animation, I think that there is the the balls on our court now. Yes, yeah. and and corporations the pa- the power all the time <laughs> and adjusting, and so the power needs to shift, and people need to start figuring out how to restructure this in a way that's sustainable. We shouldn't have to be taking advantage of the of the artists who are the core of creating these things that these corporations profit from, and that these audiences take enrichment from it's borderline criminal and it needs to change. And even if somehow someone can point to it and say that it's somehow legal, that doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it sustainable. And even if you have selfish interests, you should be investing in your product. If not the people, just know it's good for your product. You shouldn't drive your truck through beds of nails 
just because you've got this big bouncy four by four, eventually those tires are gonna blow. And the problem is I think a lot of times companies think, well, we'll just get new tires. You know, well, we'll find new tires and we'll put them on, but it matters. These tires and these treads are specific for the terrain you're on and they're not easily replaceable. And, and these tires are gonna see the other tires. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. All the <laughs> tires, tires hang out with and talk to all the other tires in the tire that's yard right. all the time. And they warn We're the like, other tires. Yeah. yeah, they warn the other tires. tires. You don't, don't want to work stuff. for that truck. You don't want to be on that four by four. That's a bad that's four right. by four. You don't even want to be on that road. We're not going to attach ourselves to that anymore. That's yeah. correct. Because we're not just also desperate to be on any chassis that will carry us. Yes, mm -hmm. there's more choice now. And listeners, if you take away anything, it's also because you don't want them putting just any tire on. You want these tires that you already know of and appreciate and have a relationship with on social media and you appreciate their work and you wouldn't want them messing around with the cast, you know, that you love so much. So you don't want them to mess around with your colorist or your animator or your background artist either. So if you follow them and you express what they mean to you, well, you're the customer and the companies need to, it's their job to give you what you want. So that's all I have to say about that. It is important <laughs> that you follow us and keep track and that you read the credits of the shows that you really love. And I know a lot of you don't just like the show, you're obsessed. So if you're really obsessed, <laughs> go to the credits, <laughs> write down the names and follow them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that goes into what you were saying, like pre-show too, Sarah, about companies, not only in what you were saying too, Dan, about following people, knowing what people do, respecting people, but also the studios as well, like not just creating shows, but like promoting the shows. Because you were yeah. talking about that, how they want you guys, especially the animation companies, to do all this work. And then it's like, and then it's just kind of there. And it's like, well, where's the show? What happened to it? Yeah, what I was saying earlier is there's this strange disconnect between people demanding for better animation, but then seeing it as like a lesser genre instead of like this incredibly flexible medium that reaches out to so many people. And we should know this by now because we've had such impactful shows when we were kids growing up in the 90s. We translated it to stuff we could understand in Adult Swim, like Samurai Jack, when, when we got like an R rating for that. It yep. becomes a lot more holistic for the generations to appreciate and for some reason people haven't gotten in haven't clued in on that yet how much we owe cultural reference and it's spread to animation as a medium and if i could ask anything from listeners it's not you demand more of animation not just voicing out saying oh, we need better quality, we need better this. You want topics to be covered because studios will want to explore projects yes. that do have topics that are to your interests. They'll green it a lot more. You won't have the same one directional, bland kind of topic that you're tired of. Demand more because you deserve more. Well said, yes. Yes. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> and be loud. You can use those voices people do hear when you are very vocal about it. And I know that a lot that of people who followed us and shows like us that that they've 
gone directly to networks and distributors and creators and you know and executives even and not as a mob just to express i like this it means so much to me and i i identify with it and here's why i love it those messages are received and it takes time these companies move slowly but it doesn't mean they're not <laughs> hearing you they're not going to write back personally but i guarantee you that the messages do get through, they amass and they get heard. So just use whatever you've got. And also rest. We talked about that earlier too. None of us, <laughs> rest, none of us get enough sleep. So. The tires are tired. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, very much. I love you guys. Just a, just a wellspring of knowledge. Yeah, and I just want to say to you is that I love this show genuinely. And all of you guys are at, because I just remember having not even worked on the show, just being able to go to the meetings and hang out with the production team and go up to the floor and talking to Dan and talking to Eric and just seeing all the art and everything that you guys were doing. It was so cool. So just thank you for being a part of the show and let me geek out with all of you guys as well because <laughs> it's great. I love it. Thank you, Angela. You're the greatest. We so appreciate yeah, it. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you guys. So this is Again, y'all's time to shine. So we'll start with Sarah. Where can people find you online, Sarah? And <laughs> what projects and cool stuff do you have coming down the pipeline uh, that people should check out? Uh, you can find me on Facebook under Magadon, M-A-G-E-D-O-N. Currently, we're mostly working on the upcoming Tiamenti movie. <laughs> But I also freelance on the side and stream on the side because a millennial's got a hustle. So <laughs> <laughs> that's me, I guess. Should I sound like my art station? Or? Yes. It's yeah. the same name. Yes. Art station is the same name. I'm just Magadon everywhere. See, and, and like a true millennial, branding, 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 very important. So very impressed. We'll put everything on the show notes as well. So thank you. And Jonesy, what's going on with you and where can people find you? I'm also with Sarah, like working on the TMNT movie, which is going to be cool. <laughs> Dark. Uh, yeah, that's all we got to say. All right. <laughs> so you can follow me on my Facebook, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter is both Johnsky and Johnsky Anims. And for my Instagram, though, I go by Sweet Autumns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And definitely don't check out my YouTube channel. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. And then Jules, what are you up to and where can people find you? So right now I'm working at Disney TV. I'm on the soon 2022 i think is a date coming out uh show moon girl and devil dinosaur yeah it's gonna be a lot so of fun excited. i i can only say that because they, they they've told us like hey usually <laughs> you can say what you can't say so look forward to that and the news coming out of that i'm sure that uh we'll have more information at oh my gosh i almost said e3 <laughs> comic-con <laughs> i'm sure, yeah, I'm sure comic-con yeah. the game e3 <laughs> Gaming uh, never ends. <laughs> but you can find my uh, stupid little drawings and random non sequiturs on, on Twitter. Uh, 
it's spelled like such a like, early 2000s <laughs> name because I didn't know you couldn't change your thing and it would untag you, but it's, uh, it's X, <laughs> X underscore Wolfsteak underscore X. <laughs> I, just, I wanted to be Wolfsteak, but you know, you'll, you'll see. It says Jules Bridges. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Also looking forward to Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur because that comic is great. So that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And Phil, what are you working on and where can people find you? Yeah, I'm working on a Lego series called Monkey Kid. And I'm doing that with Flying Bark, who, you know, also animated some glitch, animated some rise. It's a lot of the same high energy stuff. So hopefully one day you guys will get to see that. But yeah, I'm on Twitter at off-brand link. That's what my college professor said that I looked like was an off-brand <laughs> version of Link from Legend of Zelda and just stuck. So uh, yeah, find me on there. Uh, I would say find me on Instagram, but I have not uploaded in a Gregorian calendar year. So don't even worry about it. Just find me on Twitter. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm just saying it's been a good tick since Instagram. Like I, I, just, I haven't posted anything on it, so don't even, don't even sweat it. Don't, don't find me there. <laughs> All right, that's so great. Okay, and then Dan, what are you up to, and where can people find you? I'm. I think we're about to have more announcements for um, Wings of Fire, which is being adapted from. Tui Sutherland's book by myself and my wife Krista Starr and we are doing that for Warner Brothers with Ava DuVernay producing. It's going to be a hybrid animated series, miniseries of a pretty large scope. We're still ironing out the details of our timing, our format, etc. It's very early days but we are so passionate about this series and we're so stoked to be bringing it to the screen and then I'm working on um, some projects with members of our Glitch Text family, including Eric Robles. We're trying to bring out some some cool new ideas. And that's really it officially right now. Glitch Text has unproduced boards that we still want to produce as episodes. We have a million ideas. We're looking to find out what's next for us, be it with you know the current Netflix Nickelodeon setup or something else. And again, it's slow. It takes time. We're still waiting for a definitive answer, but the industry and the studios have been so rocked by so much lately that you know I just don't know that we're going to get a quick answer. It's not a it's not a quick easy thing. It's not really a matter of are we picking it up or not. Unfortunately, there are just so many other factors that are affecting it right now. It is indisputable that there's a strong audience and that people love it as much as we do. And that's the battle that's been won and we're so proud. So now it's just a matter of like figuring out what the next step will be. So we, we're confident. We we're always have it, you know, at a near boil on the back burner. So we'll it's do not, what we can it's not to dead keep it alive. <laughs> it's not, it's not dead, it's resting. <laughs> it's resting. <laughs> yeah, it's, got, it's got to respawn. Yeah, man, it's, there has been quite a glitch in the industry and we we're just staring at a, um, a loop. Like it's a, it's buffering. <laughs> we're waiting for the show to come out of buffering. <laughs> so give us time, Tex. We're working on it. In the meantime, I'll just, you know, read people's fanfic. Uh, you know, we'll get the cast together. We'll read your fanfic on a new podcast. Yes, oh, no. it's not a half bad idea, actually. <laughs> that reminds me of a Don't check Nicole. It out. Yeah, Nicole Byer has a really good podcast where they're 
they watched all the Star Wars movies because they'd never seen them. And then they watched all the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies because they'd never seen those. And they oh, talked wow. about the fanfic. They're like, we didn't even know this was a thing. So we'll look into it. If we could make the issue can be that when we, meaning really Eric Robles and I, or, or anyone who writes for the show, if we read fanfic and then we subconsciously use something, that can put the studio at risk. So mm -hmm. we love all the art, but I tend to stay away from fanfic because it's not my issue. It's a, it's a literal legal issue. And Eric and I are the only two human beings in the world with that problem because we're the only ones who'd be liable if we accidentally took someone's idea. But, or if their idea accidentally was close to something we already have planned. But if there's a way we could have a little thing to allow for us to be exposed to that material, we'll look into it because it would be so fun to just do a fun podcast where any of us from the show who can join in will just have fun reading people's fanfic and doing these little like almost radio <laughs> you know, assuming they're, <laughs> depends on the content. That's good. Family friendly. <laughs> I, I have a feeling it's going to be slim pickings to find just the right one, but we'll see. It'll be fun looking. Oh, that's I, I can't even. Oh my! I can't say this out loud. It does yeah. what? Yeah, no. <laughs> so moving on. No, but that that all that sounds really cool. Oh no, what's this? Cool. What you and oh, Eric my. are working on sounds really cool. And yeah, Wings of Fire sounds awesome. Read the read those books, guys. Read Green Boob Girl <laughs> and Double Dinosaur, and read Wings of Fire, and then watch those shows when yeah, they come all good out. Stuff, good to stuff. be sure. Yeah. So thank you, Angela. Yeah, thank all of you. you. As, as, I've, as I've said on other episodes, you guys have your choice of weekend activities. And I just appreciate that one of those choices of weekend activities was spending it on the podcast and watching cartoons. It's like Saturday morning, <laughs> so it's great. Thanks for the platform. Love you yeah. all. Thanks yeah, so much. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, guys. Yeah. It was so nice to talk to you all again. Oh, yeah. this is like very special now. Contained. <laughs> <laughs>